This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It was a victory for football as Manchester City defeated the financial doping cheats from Merseyside. Cheating gets you nowhere unless, of course, your name is Ben Godfrey. It's Monday the 12th of February. I'm Amos Murphy. I'm Joe Ritchie. And this is the City Reports Podcast. Welcome back to the City Report Podcast, your home for daily Manchester City content. Kicking off the week with me is Mr. Joe Ricci. Um, we are recording this on Sunday and there is, uh, at the point of recording, still to come, a monumental sporting event taking place on this uh, mortal coil we call Planet Earth. Um, I can't wait for the AFCON final. How about you? I'm stoked. Yeah, it's it's the biggest sporting <laughs> event I can think of in recent memory. Um, two powerhouses of African football. And mm. uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure the commercials will be great. Halftime <laughs> show will be great. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah. I am really looking forward to it, though. I'm I'm a uh, obviously an Italian fan first, but I, I do love Nigeria. I've always supported Nigeria mm. since Kalechi was at City. So I'd love to see them win it. They're, they're a vibey team. Um, yes, obviously. Yes. It is. It is also Super Bowl. Are you a are you a gridiron fan? I mean, at the last to be fair, the last couple I've stayed up and watched. Um, I have commitments on Monday, so I'm not going to bother this year. The halftime show isn't really appealing to me either, so I guess I'll throw it by the wayside. But lots of listeners will be. Um, I, that shake of the head from you though probably suggests you will be um, spending your yeah. time doing other things. When I when I like grew up, you know, living at my parents' house, um, and obviously the, I was. I'm from New England, so I was a fan of the mm. Patriots, am a fan of the Patriots. Um, but football was always like, I'd watch it because it was on. And then, yeah. you know, once I really was able to watch more City and really soccer of any sort, 
that, I mean, that takes up all of my sporting consumption aside from basketball. So yeah, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll watch it, but I'm really there to eat like nachos and wings more than anything. <laughs> so <laughs> it sounds like it's, um, it, yeah, it sounds like that's worth doing uh, instead of the sport itself. Um, right. Okay. Well, this is pretty much the only time we're going to be speaking about the Everton game this week, given the sort of the quick turnaround for the Copenhagen match. So we'll get straight into it. As always on these review shows, I want to ask you straight away, general thoughts on the game. I mean, I guess that old cliche, game of two halves, come into play here. The first half, woeful. The second half, much better. And obviously that's where the goals came. So yeah, it goes under being a good 45 minutes. But um, sort of all in all, encompassing every part of the fixture, if you can, what did you make of Manchester City 2, Everton 0? Well, it's funny because I'm going to sound like spoiled and negative, but I actually came out of it fairly concerned. Um, okay, what well, I mean by that, yeah. So Everton, not a great side. Um, City at home, notoriously very good. I thought the lineup was a little interesting, but there was plenty of power in there to to win the game, and obviously they did. But I guess my overarching concern over the last handful of months has been City have very rarely come out firing. And, mm. you know, the last six weeks or so, they haven't really played elite competition like they will, particularly in the month of March mm. onward. Um, and I just think it's one of those, yes, they're, they, they're playing better football as the weeks have gone on. I'm not, I'm not denying that. But it seems like they either need to go a goal behind, which mm. I don't think you could have given Everton 900 minutes. I don't think they were going <laughs> to score. But um, <laughs> either way, I think they just, I don't know, something just seems like they're, yeah. They're not coming out, you know, ready to play. So that that that's my concern. Is just it seems like I don't know if they need a halftime talk from Pep or you know obviously mm. there wasn't a personnel change at halftime. There was shortly after, but that's just my concern. Is it seems like City aren't really taking things from the get go and, and running with it. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair. I think that's a fair sort of assessment to kick things off. Um, I, I guess the the devil's advocate response to that, Joe, would be. Was it a case of, and and we'll get into the the nitty gritty in terms of team selection because I think that first half, like I said before, was was pretty abysmal. Um, I think there was a number of changes that needed to be made. I was super surprised there's no halftime substitutions, um, and it was no surprise. I think what was it? Less than ten minutes into the second half, you see the sight of Kevin De Bruyne coming onto the pitch. Um, but anyway, could you argue perhaps that given the way Everton set up, and I do want to sort of maybe touch on some of the the negative comments towards Everton and whether that they're justified because you know Everton restricted City to no shots on target in the in the first half and I believe that's the first time since August 2022 any side has has done that I don't know if that's at home or in all competitions or sort of away from home etc etc um but even still it, it you could say that it was a, a sort of a war of attrition against um Sean Dyche's albeit not on the touchline but Sean Dyche's Everton and and maybe that's what you expect you know we are going to have much tougher fixtures coming up in March that's when you're hoping all of these um sort of jittery performances have maybe died down is it not a case of three points is all that matters here or do you still want to see City dispatching a team of such little quality as Everton more comfortably yeah it, it, um, it's funny I don't have like a direct answer it's one of those I'm not expecting every, clearly uh, I'm not being unrealistic I don't think City needs to be up 2 nothing, 3 nothing at halftime every game it's not that it's more the the way that they've come out it feels flat like it just mm. felt like the second half they came out and the, the tempo was higher. I mean, obviously yeah. they were running against tired legs, but they themselves should have had tired legs. And the tempo got brought up a bit. Um, I think the introduction of Kyle Walker, which I'm sure we'll get to second half mm. a little bit, but like 
that changed things, but it's st- it just felt slow in the first half. And yes, I get that this is of of late we've played sides that are going to be far more defensive. But there's there's still times where you can go against a side like that and look in control, look like you're creating chances, look like you know you're on the brink of a goal. And it just felt like that first half. I mean, I joked about Everton earlier. You could have given City, uh, you know, if there wasn't for the halftime break and some subs, I'm convinced they weren't scoring either for quite a while. So yeah. I guess that's my bigger concern is getting yourself in right opportunities, um, playing with, with a certain tempo. And I'm not saying all out vibes like it's Nigeria, but um, <laughs> I, I think that it just wasn't the most inspiring half. And again, the past couple months, it's been they either go behind and then kick things, you know, get get a kick up the ass or they go on halftime tied and then things turn around. So that's my only concern. Again, when we look at the champions league knockouts, um, the run of fixtures we have coming up next month, I think city just need to be on it earlier. Yeah. Um, I, I think if we're seeing this sort of performance going into those games against Liverpool, Man United, potential Champions League quarterfinals, should we get past Copenhagen, etc., etc., ring the alarm bells. Um, I, I do think, and it sort of plays into that team selection question that I guess we'll come on to now, um, that Pep Guardiola, as always at this time of the season, is, is just trying to work things out. We saw him jitter with the the, the team selection uh, this time last year I remember quite a few matches where Riyad Mahrez for example was starting um, the Premier League games and obviously come the end of the campaign he was getting very little to next to no football at least consequential football you know it would always be 10 minutes here at the end of a game when it's already won etc etc but I, I have to say look I guess it's our job to come on here and, and, and keep the checks and balances and criticise Pep Guardiola and, and more fool us because 99 times out of 100 the fella gets it absolutely spot on and I guess you could still argue that City got a couple of goals with those players who started the game on the pitch so maybe the team selection was warranted but I was just left very confused and I'm not sure if Everton ripped up their plan heading into the game had Guardiola watched every single second I mean, obviously he doesn't you know there's uh, analysts to do this job for him but had the backroom staff um, examined Everton and come to the conclusion that they're going to be coming here maybe there'd be a little bit more space to work in I don't know it seems foolish because we've, we know how Sean Dyke sets up but the likes of Mateus Nunes obviously Alvarez retaining his position in midfield um, although you could maybe argue that was in place of Kevin De Bruyne as opposed to sort of um, alongside him obviously started the, the Brentford game etc Doku as well it was a lot of what maybe to, to sort of uh, continue the the theme of this this episode a lot of vibes players and yeah. you know players who can often make something out of nothing but they're not going to be the ones to set the tempo and, and personally I just felt the way Everton had set up we needed those players who were going to move the ball around wait for a patient opening I don't think it was a surprise there's no shot on target in that first half because everything just looked to be unbalanced um, and you don't necessarily attribute that to City's attack. No, and I wonder how much of it, too, came down to Kovacic's omission. I don't know how um, last minute that obviously we only get the reports, you know, as the lineups Mm. come out. Maybe it was something Pep knew the day before, but, you know, it wouldn't have surprised me if that was a game that he pictured him starting in. Then maybe you don't have an Akanji, you have a Vardiol or whatever it may be. Mm. Um, But, yeah, and again, I think we have to remember, obviously, you know, this coming out on a Monday, there's a game tomorrow in Copenhagen. So the squad's going to be traveling Mm. Monday. Quick turnaround. I'm not expecting it to be the best 11. It was a little disjointed, yes. But again, on paper, that lineup should and obviously did win and get the three points. Um, I guess for me, it just it all comes down to tempo. Um, mm. Like you said, there's a lot of vibey players, yet it felt like 
it was a very slow match. Um, mm. I think I may have even put in the group chat, like, if Doku's going to play like Grealish, just play Grealish. Um, <laughs> it felt a bit like, like that, didn't it? Yeah, he, he was very passive in the first half. Um, I don't think, you know, on the ball he was all that great. And so, yeah, the whole thing just kind of felt off. And, and again, no club's perfect. You're not going to put in a perfect 90 minutes every match. But it just, I don't know if, it, to your point, if it's the tempo setters, no Bernardo, no Kova, whatever. Um, but something just felt off. And, and my hope mm. is that, you know, looking at the Copenhagen, you know, Pep will make a couple tweaks here and there, certain personnel coming in that'll change that. But um, it definitely felt like a rotated side with a handful of players that were kind of just coming back from timeout as well. Yeah, and I think we do have to say that these players, um, albeit some more than others, are allowed an off game. Um, Julian Alvarez, for my money, gets unwarranted unwarranted amount of unjust stick basically I think you know if City go on to win anything substantial in the second half of the campaign it'll be because of his efforts in the first half when um, Kevin De Bruyne and more latterly Erling Haaland have been out of the team but it's interesting isn't it Joe going into this this sort of second part of the campaign and I'm sure his name will feature in our conversations quite a lot in the next what maybe six months or so it depends how long City can keep um, that their, their threat across three fronts up but it, I, I don't know it maybe feels like the next couple of weeks as we get into that sort of um looming big run which seems to be like a dark cloud upon the horizon which could you know a five week spell that could very much define City's campaign it feels like we might start to see Julian Alvarez drop out the team a little bit more however being said the evidence this season suggests even in the small amount of minutes we saw at the start of the season when Haaland Alvarez and De Bruyne were fit granted I think it was half an hour before before De Bruyne got injured, he still went with all three of them, and he's played Alvarez a lot. So I don't know. It, it, but to me, it just maybe when the three of them are there, it doesn't quite work as well as it as it maybe should. I think it's still very much a work in progress. Um, I'd mm. love to know, and obviously I, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but how many games those three have actually played in the same eleven? Um, I mean, obviously Holland's missed time, Kev's missed time. Last season, Alvarez was more of a backup to mm. Holland than anything you know there wasn't really a time where they all played together um, and I'm not really denying that they can I think to your point though of looking ahead to the run-in to me Alvarez his starts may go down but I would be shocked if he didn't start 90% of the games the rest of, or excuse me appear in 90% yeah. of the games yeah, the yeah, rest yeah. of the season like he and I made this point I think on last week's podcast like when he came into that Argentina side in the World Cup, they just got better. He wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. scoring or assisting every game, but they just got better, and I think he's a large part of that. His energy is crucial. Is he the best 10 in the world? No. Is he the best striker in the world? No. But is he an impactful player that makes players around him better? Yeah, definitely. So um, I I could see his minutes dwindling, but his appearance is staying the same. Mm, yeah, I, I think it's, it's pointing towards that. And, and also... Um, the, the, I don't think you can underestimate the pressure he can alleviate on Erling Haaland, who, for the first time in his City career, obviously the, the sample size is quite low. We saw him out of action with a substantial injury, and we almost spent every waking minute before that saying City, the City's medical team have got it spot on, You know they've fixed Haaland's injury bugs. 
you know, touch wood, it, it is just a one-off and it was one of those sort of freak injuries that, had, you know, took a little bit longer. But there is every chance that maybe he picks up another injury in the second half of the campaign and then suddenly Alvarez has to come back in. So I don't necessarily think it would be a bad thing if Julian Alvarez has to sit out a couple of starts because, I oh God, he's either got the biggest uh, energy tank in world football or he's running on empty because the, the amount of football that guy's played in the last sort of 18 months, two years is, is truly astonishing. Um, quickly before we bounce for the break I want to sort of maybe touch on Everton because it's been a bit of a talking point and twofold Um, what what did you make of their setup because I've seen a lot of people criticising it and I've seen people sort of suggesting that the way Everton set up and the, the game plan they implemented against City was for want of a better term stinky they obviously came with the idea to nullify City to uh, sort of defend as deep as they possibly could that also included some for my money um, extremely infuriating time wasting tactics that sort of seemed to plague the entire game up until City scored um, and, and yeah I don't know look we've seen teams come to City and we've seen teams have a go at City and they've ended up most times losing four, five, six nil. What did you make of Everton's setup? Do you think they should have possibly maybe come with a bit more expansiveness? Because I tell you what, in the final ten minutes when they actually did try and have a go, it looked like they could potentially cause City problems. Obviously, they scored a goal; it was offside. But um, I don't know. I, I, for me personally, I just felt it was a bit pathetic, and I don't know if that's me as a top six quote unquote supporter saying it and you know I'm a spoiled I'm I need you know City have got all the money in the world blah 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 but I don't know it was just it was just a really ugly performance from Everton I thought it it was um but I'm not holding that against Everton I mean that to mm. me that 11 was just kind of stinky I mean you have well, yeah Ash- Ashley Young as a right winger in 2024 <laughs> you have basically 10 men behind the ball with your outlet being 2024's Dominic Calvert-Lewin who looks I mean, you want to talk about a lack of confidence. Mm. Look at Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I, I almost felt it, bad for him. It was quite him. sad, wasn't it? Because yeah. I, I don't know if you remember, I think it was pre-Euro 2020 slash 21, that sort of, you know, in COVID, obviously, in COVID mm-hmm. uh, seasons, weird things happen. But I think, genuinely speaking, he was England's second best striker. He and was he linked possibly... with City to replace Aguero at one point. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but so was Danny Ings, so I, I yeah, guess well. those links, maybe. <laughs> um, you don't take too much in him. But, you know, he was probably top three strikers in the Premier League. Obviously, had injury issues but I think that was one of the worst performances I've seen from an individual at City for a, a, a very long time. It, it, it's a really tough task to be that hold up striker against City you know um, I think you know mm. uh, Mikel Antonio does a great job against City for West Ham they obviously don't sit as deep as an Everton. There's certain players that can do it I don't really think that's what you want to be asking out of Calvert-Lewin and I mean you know to give Everton some credit Onana came on for the final 12 minutes. He's just coming back from an injury. He's mm. probably their best player. Um, Decore was out, who's been, for my money, a great player for them this season. Um, Andre Gomez has actually been pretty tidy, and he was out injured. So it, it wasn't a great 11. Um, again, no one would go into the game expecting Everton to win. Um, and to your point, like if, if they go out and try to open up, I mean... I think all we need to know is look, looking at that second goal from Holland to see what would happen. I think <laughs> the the biggest takeaway I had from a positive is if Branthwaite is he's going to be special. He's yeah, gonna, I, I mean gonna he got he got you know <laughs> thrown into the grass by Holland, but so did Ruben Dias a few years ago. So I'm not going to hold it against them. Um, I think he's. I mean, he mm. should be in the England side in the next year. 
year and a yeah. half. I mean, he, yeah. he looks really, really special. I, I'm, I'm glad. In fact, it was the next um, next talking point on my notes. I just wanted to throw it in there. I actually wanted to throw it in there. So in two, three years' time, when he's he's completing a £75 million move to Manchester City yeah. and this, uh, or, or, or another Premier League team that I can clip it back and go, oh, you know what? Um, yeah, maybe maybe knew what I was going on about back then. Um, no, I think most people who watched that game would have, would have seen he was the absolute standout. And you speak about defenders getting rolled by great players. Guardiola at the World Cup with, with Lionel Messi, you know, right. when a player of... Haaland and I'm not saying Haaland's the same quality as Messi but they're in that sphere of that world and that, class and that type of space though one on one with open space yeah, true, oh. true. Um, <laughs> I've seen I've seen I will get on Haaland in part two obviously but I've seen some of the um, the shots of sort of the just like the, the aerial shots of the amount of space Haaland was working with I'm like oh dear I feel sorry for that boy because it was <laughs> yeah. scary um, I, I guess the final thing for us to speak about in part one from that first half was something that happened in the first 15 minutes of the half and it was the the Ben Godfrey incident which obviously referenced in the introduction um at, at the time from my vantage point in the stadium which admittedly was sort of possibly the worst part apart from being the opposite end of the ground you know couldn't really see what was going on basically but it looked like Godfrey slid in he was going for the ball he had every right to what I didn't get to see from that side of the ground was the kick out which follows afterwards and I'd actually be interested to hear what it was like on TV whether or not the the replay showed it whether or not any of the commentators picked it up because on Match the Day which is obviously the highlight show in the evening um, here in England it wasn't really spoken about at all And and for me when I saw it the replay the first time I was absolutely gobsmacked because, okay, you can make a, an excuse to the referee to say that they haven't seen that in real time, which is fair enough. You know, it's a coming together of bodies and heads, um, you know, on the ground, limbs in the way, fair enough. But what is the point of VAR to be a video assistant referee if they're not looking at incidents after the time, basically, when the camera angles pick it up. I, I was just absolutely flummoxed why Ben Godfrey wasn't sent off for kicking Edison in the head, basically. You know what I think the biggest problem with VAR has been in terms of its implementation is, is the term clear and obvious error. Yeah, and the fact yeah. that they need to, to basically say, if we're going to call it from the booth, it is a clear and obvious error. And I don't think any of these guys want to say that about their coworkers, honestly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, regardless, I still think that was a clear and obvious error. But... I think the moment you make that change from the booth, that's what it implies. It implies that the on-field referee clearly missed something. They're not good at what they're doing, right? It, it just, mm. it opens up. Kind the implications of the, I mean, we, are rough, yeah. aren't they? And we already know they're not good at their job. So like, you're not telling <laughs> us anything we don't know. Um, but as far as the view from the States, it's funny what it happened. I, I didn't really understand. I'm like, oh, Ederson, 15 minutes into the game, he's not trying to sell anything. There's no time wasting. I'm like, mm. maybe he just... Someone fell on him, hit him in the head. I, I, I didn't really know. And then we got, we did get the replay. And um, at that point, I'm like, okay, so he slides right into him. That's a foul. Oh, and then he follows up with a kick towards his face. That is abundantly clear. I mean, he was in a sat <laughs> yeah. position and throws his leg out. The ball was behind him. That was the crazy yeah. part. The ball I was I mean, that's the accuracy it. of an Everton player, to be fair. But still, <laughs> it, it, was, um, it, it was bizarre. And then they didn't, like, they talked about it, but they... There wasn't mm. a lot of coverage in the moment um, about like, well, that should have been a clear red. And here I am sitting on my couch, like, am I am I missing something? Like, am I not looking at what they're looking at? It was it was bizarre, very very bizarre. Yeah, uh, uh, and the worst part about it was James Tarkowski in his um, post match interview coming out and, and saying that Everton had been hard done by by a dubious yeah. corner decision, which led to City's first goal. Um, honestly, I, I think Everton fans and players alike have sort of drum up this conspiracy that you know the Premier League and everyone's against them when in actual fact you know 
they're just pretty dross. Um, anyway, yeah. that'll do for part one before we uh, before we uh, ruffle any more feathers. Listeners, stay exactly where you are. We'll be speaking about the second half and, of course, Mr. Erling Haaland in part two. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The Etihad Stadium really is wonderful at this time of the season. And the same goes for McDelivery. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome back to the City Report podcast, the start of another very busy week. We'll be with you Monday through Friday covering all things Manchester City. And for the first time in a long time, we've got a double game week to look forward to. So stick around for that. Um, Right, okay, then that second half, what changed, Joe? Because it felt like more than anything, it was a classic Pep Guardiola rocket up the arse of the players. And they came out, they were fighting. And then obviously the introduction of Kevin De Bruyne uh, happens and... If not more than anything else, it, it, it just feels like, regardless of the quality he brings to City's team, it feels like the the sort of the backs of the opposition go up a little bit, and the when they see Kevin De Bruyne coming on the pitch, and I think that gives City an untold advantage that isn't necessarily apparent with what he does with his feet and the ball, which is obviously also very good. Yeah, I mean, anytime he comes on, it, it, I, I'm still in the best way possible, baffled how well he's returned from injury from the mm. get-go. I mean, he was a yeah. player who, no matter what type of injury he had, he'd always take a hand. I mean, he was <laughs> rusty when he came back. Like he, yeah. he would, And oh, even like, if it was like two games out, he'd come back yeah. and he'd look like he needed five to get back but, into it. But I also think he, and this may be inferring something that I have no right to say, but I felt like when he came back, he, he really did kind of look out of shape and out of form. Whereas when he came back from this injury, I mean, obviously the hair, the teeth, all that, but he just looked more energetic, more up for it. I think it really mm. was such a mental reset that he needed. And again, I don't know, right? I'm just speculating, but that that's what it felt like. Because even from the moment he came back, it was just like like he stepped back into peak form. And yes, his stamina is he's still working on. But I mean, what is it? Five goals, uh, five assists and a goal in six matches or something? Like, Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's he, so yeah, his return is obviously great. I think I touched upon a little bit in part one, but I really think, it was a shrewd move to bring Kyle Walker on. Um, mm-hmm. That that setup was just we had Stones and Akanji stepping in at times. <laughs> it, it was like they were trying to like fight for that position. Um, I mean, obviously, they found a ton of success in the treble season with four mm-hmm. center backs, and like I said earlier, Everton were at no point going to score. I think they were great defensively, but as far as cohesion from front to back, I just don't think it was working well. So mm. oddly enough, bringing on Kyle Walker, who I haven't been overly fond of this mm-hmm. season, I, I thought was a really smart move. Um, so yes, those two moves coupled with just like I was saying earlier, like the tempo, it just, 
it felt like City like, oh wait, we need to we we need to score to get three points here, guys. Like let's <laughs> let, let's figure it out. And um, you put all that together, and then you get an opener. Yeah, um, I, I echo sentiments on on Kyle Walker. I, I think going back to the Kanjin Stones part, it felt a little bit like. This may be a rogue analogy, but maybe a school talent show or a school dance show where you've got sort of two performers trying to jostle for the front of stage, you know, yeah, maybe yeah. A, a little bit like a, a peacock trying to show the feathers, you know, it, it just felt a bit like, okay, one of you's doing that, so why does the other one need to do it? And, and, and I like, do think City can't you, like, know your role. amazingly. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like, I'm sorry. True. Which, which is frustrating because for me, I thought he, he'd found his role last year playing on the on the wider side of that back four. Uh, sort of um, yeah. hesitant to call it right back, but I guess it kind of was the right um, side of defence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the the rightest side of defence. Um, but yeah, he, he hasn't really played that there this year. I think more than anything, that the, the change, um, obviously Kevin De Bruyne comes on, but also Kyle Walker was just the width. And it's interesting. Right. Um, over, I think it was Adam Howarth. We, we spoke about this on on one of the preview shows last week where we basically asked is this lineup going to be uh going back to the Brentford game where obviously City started with about 700 attacking midfielders on the pitch and and I think Gvardiol was the winger on one side and, and Walker was the winger on the other you know is that setup going to continue but maybe it will I don't know it, but it felt against that sort of that bunkered Everton back line it just needed somebody to stretch out a bit and force one of those defenders to get out there and it created a little bit of space Phil Foden had more um success coming into the pockets and um, I guess weirdly enough, the uh, the opening goal comes via a corner, but it, it just felt like the fluidity of City's attack maybe shifted a little bit. And I don't know if that was personnel, if that was the state of the game, if that was tired legs. Um, but I, I guess the the biggest talking point from that second half and the biggest talking point from possibly the last eighteen months or so of Manchester City is. When you have a game like that, there is no striker in world football you want on the pitch other than Erling Haaland because the, what was it, 70, what, 70 minutes before he scored were pretty much a non-event for him. I think he had a mm-hmm. header that had sort of skewed over the top of the crossbar. However, presenting with half a chance inside the box and boom, you know, no chance. And um, it was some let off anyway in the stadium, but I, I just think that's that's why he's there basically. Right, I was going to say that's what you get with Erling Haaland. I mean, I've said many times I would have, well, I can see why City had targeted Harry Kane, and I think Harry Kane would have been a better were you, fit were you for gonna, this. Were you going to say uh, quite a hot take then? It seemed like you checked yourself a little bit. I was, was going to say they should have, but then I realized he, he was leading goal scorer in a treble winning team. But I, I, I stand by his profile of striker agreed, makes agreed. more sense for this City side. But at the end of the day... When City get through these kind of rough patches and it feels like things aren't going your way, there's no striker in world football I want more than Erling Holland, right? Because all it takes is, you know, Nathan Ake kind of flailing at a ball and it falls to Holland's feet and boom, back of the net, one nothing. And um, obviously the second goal is what we would like to see more of, but don't really get the opportunity to see more of because of the type of defenses that City go against, right? It's more the space that you saw in Germany that you see a bit of in Spain, Um but it, it was good to see Holland back. It was good to see. I don't know if you watched the highlights back, Amos, but that first goal I watched before the podcast just to kind of you know rewatch yeah. everything. And it honestly, you would have thought it was Rodri scoring the Champions League winner with the way Phil Foden <laughs> celebrated. He drops to his knees, throws his hands up to the sky, <laughs> like to the bench. I'm like, all right, I, I'm excited too. Like it was a horrible <laughs> first 60 minutes. But Phil, buddy, <laughs> like it's, but it's over to I, I guess you could make an interesting point because a lot of the talk, the outside noise has been about the 
complacency within the squad and having won the treble, having won three Premier League titles in a row, having won five of the last six Premier Leagues, would City be able to get themselves up for another Premier League title charge? And when you see Phil Foden celebrating an an opening goal against Everton at home in mid-February, not even mid-February, the start of February, with such sort of emotion and passion, it just shows that hunger is still there. No, I, 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 <laughs> I have to bust the balls, but yeah, I absolutely loved it. It was just, I'm looking back, I'm like, really? Like, everyone else is running towards Holland and <laughs> Phil just drops to his knees, but no, yeah. it's, it's right, the opposite of that is just, you're not really looking after your teammates, happy for your teammates, so mm-hmm. no, it was, it was great to see, and um, I think for Holland, too, I mean, he's a player who's always going to back himself, but I think to see the ball go in the back of the net after such a long time off, right, you know, players are kind of catching up, up to him in the, the goal table in the league, and um you know, he's kind of finding his way back into a side where Alvarez is in great form, Kev's finding mm-hmm. form, feels great. I think he, he kind of needs to remind people, like, I'm still Erling Holland, And, uh, yeah. you know, to put together that brace. And um, I think that second goal in particular, I watched back five, ten times. I mean, the way that he showed the ball to Branthwaite just a bit. Mm. Just, and it's like, okay, I'm going to cut on my left. And it turned his hip, Branthwaite's hips just enough that at that point he blew right by him. Obviously, that's where he, he went down. And, mm. you know, once he gets in that position, you know he's going to finish it. But I thought that little move beforehand is is so important for his development because he can't just be a player that needs to get on his left foot at all times. Obviously, he did for the finish. But to get by a defender, right, he can't always yeah. be cutting in. And, um, again, I don't think he'll ever be this totally complete player. But if he can continue to add little nuances like that, Mm-hmm. Um, that's the difference between <laughs> maybe between 40 goals and 50 goals in a season. Yeah. Um, we're still spoiled, but um, I thought that was just like a really nice little piece of uh, deception against a, a defender that we obviously heralded greatly in the first half. Yeah, I, we, we've seen that type of goal um unless I'm missing one, I'm, I'm, I think three occasions last season, obviously his second goal in a City shirt uh, in the Premier League, first uh, first from open play against West Ham right at the start of the season. There was a yep. very similar one against Brighton at the Etihad um, mm-hmm. where he did that sort of defensive shrug. And I think Bayern Munich away is is another yeah. example that I can pull up where give Erling Haaland the space um, most times, because obviously not all the time. Um, the, there was one against Brentford, obviously, on, on Monday where it looked like it was going to be a goal and it just wasn't. Um, the keeper saved it but give him the space most of the time it's going to be a goal and and Sam Lee made um, I think a very good point in, in his article over the weekend about Erling Haaland where you can watch City and you can say that they don't miss him when he isn't playing you know that Burnley game um, was wonderful. It was a wonderful performance. City looked fluid. They were creating chances. You know, they they looked they looked great. But it's it's in those moments where I personally speaking, my confidence about winning the game was starting to dwindle a little bit. It looked mm-hmm. like City had just about tried every avenue. It wasn't working. Defenders throwing themselves in front of of shots, clearing it. Everton were taking time out of the game. They were frustrating City. Bang, half a chance, and it and it goes in. And and I think that is the transformative um, sort of action you get with Erling Haaland, I guess, when when he's in the team. And it's probably more pertinent in the second half of the season. Um, I don't know if it was last season or or this season, but I remember making a point where you could 
probably chuck Erling Haaland in some sort of cryon chamber for the first half of the campaign where the matches aren't necessarily as decisive and you know you can keep him there you don't even have to play him um, even though that's when he tends to score his most goals and you can just bring him out for February to May because that's when mm-hmm. the big matches are or maybe the first week of June depending on when the Champions League is but um, yeah I thought it was it was great to see him back up and, and scoring obviously didn't get one against Burnley didn't get any against Brentford so um, being back on the score sheet and what's it now 16 Premier League goals having missed um, yeah. probably around half of the Premier League season um, yeah. or at least a chunk of it um, Joe I, anything else you want to bring up um, from the Everton game like I said obviously quick turnaround so probably start to look ahead to Copenhagen on tomorrow's show um, I know you wanted to mention Nathan Ake uh, technically picking up an assist I'm not quite sure how much he, he necessarily knew about it but another solid performance from him yeah, he's kind of just become the Rodri of defense. Like, he kind of just does goes about his business. Is at minimum a seven out of ten. Mm. Um, I thought he. I, I always love like when people say the term hockey assist or pre-assist. I mean, he he deserves a lot of credit for that second goal. Made two yeah. great interceptions. Gets the ball. You know, picks the setup. Gets the ball to Kev, and obviously Kev does what Kev does. But um, I just think Ake is. I've been thrilled with Vardiol. I still think, as of right now, if, if tomorrow's the Champions League final, I'm putting mm. Ake in at, at left back or, again, left side of defense, whatever you want to call it. Um, to me, he's just... Uh, if, if we're picking a best 11, I don't care who we're playing, he's in it for me. I don't care yeah. what position he's he's in it. Um, and that goes back to the last 18 months. I mean, incredible, our most consistent defender, our most reliable defender um, from a fitness perspective as well. So, yeah, I just I think he deserves his, his flowers and... Um, he's not really playing in a luxury position where he probably gets it as much as he should. But, um, you know, where City have been kind of questionable defensively, I don't think any of that fault goes on him this season. No, totally. Um, yeah, even back to that sort of spell where City, like you say, were making a, a few blunders every week. It, it, it was never really Nathan Ake's fault. Although I think most most players in that back line at least had a had a stumble, but most most of the time Nathan Ake is is consistent in his performance. That's kind of all you can ask for. He's also got two goals and two assists and fifteen starts this season, which is <laughs> not too shabby for a, a defender. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, he's, he, I, I just think his his story has been wonderful obviously castigated when he moved from Bournemouth 50 million pound for a relegated player but you saw it what was in the first couple of weeks he was being voted into at least picked up quite a few votes in in the sort of the captain's election if I can call it that um we've seen it on the documentary a a truly lovable guy and, and that doesn't necessarily count for much does it when you know one Calvin Phillips, for example, is a lovable guy, but obviously that doesn't <laughs> right. necessarily translate to the football pitch. But yeah, um, it, it's just nice. It's just nice to see him doing well. And I've actually, um, in Altrincham once, he walked past me. Um, I was completely unbeknown until he sort of turned around, so I didn't necessarily get a chance to let on. But he's built, um, let me tell you. You know, not the <laughs> yeah. tallest, not the tallest, don't get me wrong, um, but he is about two humans sort of wide and there's plenty of <laughs> plenty of meat on that muscle let me tell you so um, you can see why uh, attackers have issues coming up against him but um, I think that'll do Joe um, lovely chat unless you've got anything else to bring up um, I, I guess we're at that point in the campaign now where as much as we'd like to see the more polished performances and maybe they'll come maybe they won't I guess City silverware will de- be dependent on that at the end of the season but Three points in a game like that come the end of the season, I don't think we'll be grumbling about um, the lack of fluidity in the first half. 
Yeah, and at the end of the day, it keeps the title in, in City's hands, right? They they go about mm. their business, win the games, they win the league. So uh, three points is all that probably matters at this point. Absolutely, and that sounds like a good place to call it a day. Listeners, thank you very much. Like I said, we'll be back tomorrow to preview City's trip to Copenhagen in the Champions League. Cue the music. It always makes me laugh this time of year. You've got loads of people looking towards Valentine's Day as the... Um, the, the biggest highlight in February, but for us football lovers, it's the return of the Champions League. And of course, City are doing that this season as reigning European champions. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Joe. Until next time, listeners, we'll see you later. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However... When it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.